Will you join me in prayer this morning? Uh, we have been led wonderfully by our worship team into this time of hearing God's Word. And as we have been invited to quiet uh, the thoughts that oftentimes take our imaginations captive, we come before the one who knows our thoughts and is discerning of our hearts. And we come in a spirit of transparency and openness, echoing the words of the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Father God, these people are your children. We love you. We desire to honor you. We desire to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that is defined by love, peace, and joy. We recognize this morning that we come as different people from different experiences our lives are unique to us, and yet, as different as we are, you are the one God who knows all hearts and searches it. You are familiar with the individual that sits here in this congregation and that is watching online. You know us. And instead of that making us afraid of your presence, your word declares that you have come to save and to heal and to restore. May you, by your Spirit this morning, remove all anxiety, all fear, all that hinders each and every one of us from hearing the hope that comes from your Word, and may we leave here today knowing that God has met with His people. Father, great sermons can be great information, but what we seek in worship, in praise, and in hearing the Word of God is an encounter with the living God Himself. We're not in the business of religious practices that have no purpose, but whatever we do, we do so with the hope based upon Your promise that You are with Your people and where your people worship you, you are present. You are active. You are Lord. So, Father, transcend the thoughts that I have in the way that only your Spirit can. May what is spoken be truth. But most importantly, may it be your heart revealed for your people and this world for such a time as this. Amen. Good morning. I am Stuart Norman Williams. That's right, John. I think Norman is a good Scottish name, is it not? John does not want to be associated with me that way, but I told him that in my DNA profile, I have a percentage point that is Scottish. More significantly, however, uh, I haven't seen some of you in a, in a few weeks. I I was traveling, I, I was in L.A. for coursework, as some of you have heard, um, and then also a couple of weeks uh, of vacation 
in which I spend most of the time finishing assignments. Uh, I am, however, um, reminded when I am not behind the pulpit of the calling that God placed on my life many years ago. Um, I was sitting there and saying to myself, you feel emotional today, please don't cry. But when I was a young man, um, growing up in the church, I, I, um, <laughs> I, my dad was a pastor, I vowed, not like you, Luke, you're much better than I was at your age, that I will never become a pastor. And part of that probably is because as you grow as a teenager, you realize that pastoral work is hard work, it's difficult work, it's challenging work. And as a young man, I, I had aspirations. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Could you see me as a journalist? I don't know what that means. Uh, the, a little bit of laughter. <laughs> Soon found out that to be a journalist, you actually have to read what's happening in the world. And so when I took the entry exam, they told me, hmm, maybe this is not your passion. And somehow, through tragedy and the loss of family and the experiences that I've had growing up in South Africa, I found myself on a trajectory to becoming a pastor, the very thing I said I would never do. It is amazing to me um, that I get to live out this incredible calling. There are moments where life is difficult for me, you're not surprised, where perhaps beyond my appearance, I too experience challenges, disappointments, and setbacks. It is often easy for a congregation to presume that because I am called of God to preach the Word, that I am somehow more special than you. But I stand before you as someone who has learned that to follow Jesus at times takes us into places that we won't anticipate, and following Jesus at times means that life is not always easy. And following Jesus means that there are times of sorrow and there's times of loss, and that one of the truest gifts we have in Scripture comes from the Psalms who gives us an honest way to look at the Christian life, a way that says at times we cry out for help, and we say, oh, our God, where are you? At times, we may find ourselves in the fellowship of believers praising God for He is good. At times, our hearts may be filled with thanksgiving because we have experienced the blessing of God. Who's experienced the blessing of God this morning? God is good. God is good. But there are also times, am I moving too much for the cameras? They removed my markers. I have two markers. I can't go beyond. Blame whoever cleaned the church uh, for my wandering. But there are times in which, like the Scripture this morning will show us, we desire quiet peace and hope for our thoughts, our anxieties, our apprehensions, 
often keep us from that which God has promised us. So here's what I want to do. Three verses, Psalm 131. I have more than three points, however. But I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and I'm going to be as on point as I can as I take us through this psalm this morning. May it be to you a source of hope and peace. Let us pray. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Psalm 131, a song of quiet trust. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord. The book of Psalms, as we find it in the Old Testament, is really the book of Israel's prayers. It is a prayer book. Another way of thinking about the book of Psalms, it is a a prayer book that was often put to music in the intertestamental period, or as we refer to it, in the second temple period of Israel. Just stay with me for a second. The Psalms became even more significant in how people, the Jewish people, practiced their collective religion. For many of us, the Psalms are perhaps meaningful. I find that they divide some. Some go, I like it, some I don't like the Psalms. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But it shouldn't surprise us that the Psalms were so important that Jesus Himself often referenced the Psalms. He referenced the Psalms when He was on the cross. My God, my God, why have Thou forsaken me? He referenced the Psalms when He spoke about Himself as fulfilling the purposes of God. Stated differently, no book is quoted more by Jesus than the Psalms itself. It was the language that helped the people understand who they were called to be and what God has promised them. For example, there are some Psalms that we call Psalms of Lament. To lament is to cry out. It is to cry out in faith to God when there seems to be a problem and there is yet to be discerned an answer. Some of you, you're, by the way, you're all looking pretty serious. I preach until the joy of the Lord shows up, so the sooner you smile, the sooner we're out of here. 
One of the challenges with the church and Christianity, I think, including myself, is that when we do not pay attention to the nature of the Scriptures given to us, that some of us tend to believe that Christianity makes no space for asking hard questions. That somehow, to be a Christian means that you cannot cry out in times in your desperation and in your not knowing and say, God, I don't know why you wouldn't do this. This is the Psalms in my, in my vocabulary. Why you wouldn't do this when you can see it would be good for me and everybody else. Have you ever been there? You're praying the Psalms. There are Psalms that gives expression to a deep need of God, a lament, if you will. Then there are royal psalms, psalms that were used when Israel and Judah's kings would be coronated and when they would be celebrated. And then there are psalms that have wisdom in them. They, they have this kind of tinge of when you read them, you have to read them slowly because sometimes the Bible doesn't heal its wisdom quickly. If you ever want to study the Bible well, don't try and read it fast. Some people are convinced that how much they read will make them more Jesus-like. I think Jesus invites us to read quite slowly because sometimes the truth that is there has to be meditated upon. The psalm we're looking at this morning is a psalm of ascent. A psalm of ascent simply refers to, or the word itself means, to step up. In fact, the original language would suggest it's like, uh, I always want to come down closer to you. It's like someone stepping up, going somewhere. Biblical scholars would say to us that this group of psalms, which begins in Psalm 120 and ends in Psalm 134, was used by Israel when they were traveling up to Jerusalem. The scholars even suggest this. They say it was possibly used by the Levites who would attend to the temple when they were ascending the steps that led to the Jerusalem temple. This psalm is fascinating if one considers the imagery in it of a child being weaned as being carried to Jerusalem. It is a fascinating psalm for us today uh, if we were to consider perhaps how we may enter it, that it is a psalm for those who are traveling somewhere, who is going somewhere. I don't know if you like taking road trips. I do. And I want to have control of the music. You haven't heard some of the music my kids listen to. I need control of the music. It's one of those signs that I've become old. I, I, I used to impress them when I could reference one or two of the artists they, they listened to, but these days they've caught me out. They know that, uh, what's that app, Shazam? You know, you Shazam and then it tells you what the song is. I used to use that all the time and I'd impress my kids. They said, how did you know that song? And I was like, I just know stuff. But I want to suggest to you this morning that perhaps this psalm can become a psalm for the journey of life, a song to carry with us as we travel. 
we all need music in our lives, some of us more than others. Some of us should never dance to music because as one of my favorite lines in a movie goes, the movie moves you ugly or the music moves you ugly. But if there's a song that should be on the playlist of each in Christian's life, it is perhaps this very brief psalm, a psalm that holds within it simplicity yet power. The psalmist teaches us the way to hope and peace. And the psalmist begins by teaching us an important principle that if you want to access the hope of God in your life, it begins by accepting responsibility for your thought life. The wisdom of the author of Proverbs goes something like this. Keep your heart. Remember the Bible in the Old Testament in particular uses the word heart. That language in the original has the implication of not just the internal feelings, but the mind. When the author says, keep your heart, your mind, it's saying keep your feelings and your thoughts, that which is central to who you are, with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I think the psalmist shows us that our Christian life is a life that often begins with what we think about. For it is out of the mind that actions flow. Destructive thoughts inevitably finds its way out and into our actions. And it's like the psalmist inadvertently alerts us to something that challenges the way in which the world seems to operate. No responsibility for our actions and no thought given to the fact that those actions derive from something far deeper than simply a reaction. But the Word of God, according to the psalmist, invites us to recognize that we can take these kinds of thoughts captive when they beset us. So much damage in our walk with Jesus is not necessarily done by what others do, but what we have in our mind. The psalmist speaks about two ways in which these bad thoughts seem to take hold. He suggests that he is uh, aware of how pride, which I'd like to define this way, thinking of oneself highly, or as they a colloquial way of saying it is being full of oneself. I like that term, full of oneself, because when somebody is full of themselves, it means that there is no room for learning anything. A, a proud person is a person who always is right. They may not say it out loud, but you can say what you say. They may not, but inside they go, wow, what a dummy. 
I read a profound book once about humility, and it says one of the qualities of humility is, is that it creates space in our life to learn. Because humility is the posture that I am not so full of myself that I am not teachable. I'm not so full of myself that I believe I can live my life on my own steam and by my own design. I'm not so full of myself that I don't need God in my life. The psalmist puts it very provocatively. He, he, he suggests that his heart, let me find my notes, my heart is not lifted up. And then he says something else. He says, my eyes are not raised too high. So while pride can exist within us as a decision we make that we are better than, perhaps, or that we have no capacity to learn from others, or that we are so self-obsessed. Another way of thinking about pride is to think of it this way, that we, it's not just thinking about yourself highly, but it is thinking about yourself too much. You know what one of the cures for pride is? Service. One of the ways in which Jesus teaches us to have a humble and a contrite spirit is to find a place of serving. To serve others is one of the most significant anecdotes to this internal disposition that makes us not only act as if the world revolves around us, but that others don't need us. And we don't need them. But not only is pride this internal mechanism, the psalmist would say uh, pride is also something that is shaped by what we see, too lofty, too marvelous. Oh, I may not generate from inside me at times, but when I concern myself with things I should just not be concerned with, I don't have peace. Today, according to social media, you should be concerned about everything. And I have seen experts in neuroscience, psychology, counseling, rearing children, global economics, all contained in one little tweet. We live in a world in which we presume that the abundance of knowledge is somehow going to place us in a place of superiority. And we think, that by arguing over one another, we will be better than others. But the psalmist teaches us that not only is that incessant need within us to live independent of God, but it often comes out of the desire to concern ourselves with the things that only God knows. This challenges the Western world. The Western world who prides itself on knowledge. The Western world that may be, make us believe that if we just can study enough, nothing against studying, I'm going on four months because I'm studying, but if we just could analyze enough, if we just could figure it out enough, then somehow we can make sense of it all. It doesn't take much in life to happen to us to make us realize that one plus one doesn't always equal two. There are some people sitting here who today, Christianity that is one plus one equals two is hurtful because they cannot understand 
They cannot understand the suffering they've endured on account of somebody else. There's some sitting here today who, who, who cannot understand why they would suffer with an illness or a disease or a disability. There's some sitting here today and listening online who's saying, you know, pastor, there are times in my life where I've gone through some stuff that I just cried out to God and I said, God, I, I, I don't know why. I don't understand. And what the psalmist is teaching us as we listen to this psalm is not only the pride that comes from within, but invites us to recognize that we don't know everything because we are not God. What is your mind on? What is it that we are presuming? that we are fixated on, that our eyes are on, that is too lofty for us, what do we need to hand over to God and say, God, this is you. This is you. This is not me. I, I can't do this. I can't figure it out. What is it that, 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 that is too big for us, too, too great for us? I know the word marvelous has this connotation of beauty, but here it has the connotation of gravity, of something that is heavy and big and large and voluminous and great. Sometimes I become despairing when I look out into this world and I say, dear God, how are you going to make all things new? Can I get an amen? But I also learn to pray with the psalmist. Father, I don't know how I can do it, but I'm going to place my trust in the God who, according to Scripture, says that He is the beginning and the end, that nothing finds its origins apart from Him, that He is the creator of this world, that He has a perfect plan, that He alone is God and I am not, and therein I find my peace. Come on now. Internal dispositions, attitudes what we think and fix our eyes on. And yet the psalmist teaches us how to quiet our souls. Listen to this in verse 2. Are you still with me? Say amen. I was a youth pastor. I used to do that all the time. I didn't say, say amen because that was too archaic for youth. But I'd have like a cool way of saying, are you still with me? And uh, most times they were not. <laughs> Have you ever seen those videos where somebody falls asleep and then they play a practical joke on them and they just start clapping and the person just wakes up and starts clapping not knowing? <laughs> what about trying that in the church? There's a few of you who would be clapping right now if I did that. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is, in, that is with me. There's some things that are beyond my experience as a, as a man. And, and, and then the psalmist gets feminine in terms of ascribing to us the way in which God can bring about quiet and peace using the imagery of motherhood. A number of years ago... Um, as I was accustomed to before all of the, the uh, mask and social distancing came my way, I, I, I would love to go and visit moms 
and dads with new babies. My favorite thing. Baby dedications, favorite thing. Kids, favorite, favorite thing. My dad was like me. I visit uh, Michelle Hine. You know Michelle. Her husband, Daryl, uh, often runs Stone. Uh, and, and, I, and I visited with them in their home, and I sat with Michelle and Daryl, and uh, I asked if I may hold Theo. Theo is not going to be held by me now. And uh, I want to show you a picture, because this is the closest I came to understanding it. Uh, I want you to pay attention. <laughs> I love that picture. Uh, he, was, he, was, he, was a, he was a little jittery when I first got him, right? He was, he was kind of just moving all along and stuff like that. And then I did the whole thing. Do you guys, dads, grandpas know this, right? You know this thing? You know this thing? I'm speaking dad language now, right? I used to put my, all, my leg out like this with my kids, and they'd go all over the way, and they'd just laugh and giggle, right? But I had him. He was young enough. I was just kind of doing this with my leg, and he just kind of fell asleep, and and I remember Michelle's reaction. <laughs> Michelle was like, he doesn't do that with Daryl yet. <laughs> Sorry, Daryl, he's watching from home. <laughs> and I had this sense of feeling quite proud as a pastor that one of my youngest parishioners fell asleep on my knee. Don't take that cue this morning. There's something that happens when a mom nurses a babe. I, Remember watching Ruthann nurse our children. Uh, they may be fussy, they may be restless, especially if they're hungry. Uh, I, I tell this story because it's true and it's funny, but it's convicting. The church we were at when we had Lauren, she was just a few months old. This lady came up to me and she said, Pastor Stu, I mean, how are you doing? Is Lauren sleeping through the night? I said, Yes, she sleep. She says that's phenomenal. Ruthann heard this conversation. She walked over and she said, "He sleeps through the night." <laughs> the moment that baby is nourished, is fed, most times, not all times, but most times, there is a contentment that marks them, so much so that they will sleep right there and then. The image is one of resonance for those who have nursed their children, fed their children, held their children. But it is this image that the psalmist draws upon to teach us something about how to access such contentment and peace. Simply put, the psalmist knew that the only place that he finds contentment is in God Himself. When we try to pursue the peace of God in any other way than first and foremost recognizing that He is the one that can nourish us, that can satisfy the longing and the desire within, 
the wonderful realization for me is, is that when I begin with God in prayer, and if I begin with God in my thoughts, and if I begin with Him, there is a change in my countenance on a day-to-day basis. If I, this is very simple, but if I begin with Him, if I feed on His Word, if I listen to music that nourishes my soul, if I just say that prayer, I know this sounds simplistic, going back to Bible school or Sunday school 101, there is a difference to how my day plays out. How many times is the peace that is offered me on a day-to-day basis not mine because I choose to go into my life hungry? I choose to live out of the discontent, the anxiety, the insufficiency. Do you know that every day the world tells you you're malnourished? You don't have enough. You need that boat. Well, maybe not in Calgary. I I don't know what it would be in Calgary. Trailer. You need that bigger house. You need that promotion. You need a a better situation at your workplace. You you need a, a different spouse. You, you need a different church. You, you need something that you don't yet have. The psalmist will tell us very simply, throughout the psalms, by the way, that true contentment is the source of true peace and hope. And in his prayer, teaches us not only to take those thoughts captive that makes us believe that we don't have what we need, but He turns our attention to the one who, like a mother, nourishes those who desire to be nourished, feeds their soul, hearts, minds, and bodies so that they may rest in Him. Listen, I don't know. I've been here 14 years, right? Uh, I've gone through the period of time as a pastor where you know, I, I, I preached because I, I really wanted to encourage you to understand the Bible more. And I think we always have to do that because there's so many poor ways to appropriate Scripture. And I think I'm always growing. I'm always learning how to teach bi- people the Bible, the different genres of the Bible like I just did in the Psalms, or, or how to understand the old in terms of the new. All those information and that kind of stuff is helpful to helping us to access this reality that we serve a God who desires to know you and me personally so that we may live as He has destined us to live. Put it a different way. God of Scripture revealed through Christ, empowered through His Holy Spirit, invites us into a life-giving relationship that changes us in real time for such a time like this, that those who have gone before us that have spoken about the peace of God spoke about something they knew, not just understood intellectually or heard preachers said, but accessed through being nourished by God on a daily basis so that they would not live out of deficiency, but in the grace that is given them. Taking these thoughts captive is so important for a number of reasons. Friends, I I want to say to you, our kids are watching us. 
If our life is marked by discontent, we are teaching them to be discontent with religion and with God Himself. If our life is marked with always the pursuit of more, we will teach our children that we have yet to come to believe that Jesus is enough for us. If we continue to live as if more is needed for us to have peace and have joy, we will teach our children that the dangling carrot of success looms always in front of them, and they will never experience the peace that transforms and changes us. If we do not take our hunger every day to God, we will live as malnutritioned people. So how, we do, how do we do this? In closing, and God's people says, please don't stop. I only have two weeks left of preaching. You're getting it all. In four months today, three, well, two months today, two months next week. Not funny to some of you. You're like, there's hot dogs, Stu. There's hot dogs. Got to support the kids. How do we do it? I think like anything in life, when you want to shift habits, it requires focusing on the right thing. So a few questions. If we're to look at your calendar, look at your time, look at your energy, look at what your mind is focused on, that keeps you from attentiveness to the Lord Himself and time in His presence. It is time to make some changes. Look, I grew up in the church. I was made to feel guilty for not praying long enough, not fasting more than I should. I know how these sermons can always come across to people, like, 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 you know, like, a, like a simple formula. I hope you understand that what I'm suggesting to you is not simply to check off a box that you're praying or reading Scripture, but it's to join yourself to the very life of God so that you would live as He wants you to live. Sometimes it means that we have to acknowledge the troubled thoughts. Is there a way that we won't have troubled thoughts? I think not. I think that there are troubled thoughts when we go through hardship. There are troubled thoughts that we go through pain. There's troubled thoughts when we are concerned about our children. There's troubled thoughts that amount in our day-to-day -day life. But to take these thoughts captive, as the Apostle Paul encourages the Corinthian church, means that we bring those anxieties and fears and concerns to God. For when we do not, we act in ways that often don't help, but perpetuates the same kind of fear anxiety, and even discouragement in others. Oh, you say, okay, taking your thoughts captive, bring it to God in prayer, what's another way? I would say another very practical way is through confession. And some people say, well, that sounds very Catholic, Stu. We don't, we don't come to you to confess. You know that the, 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 the New Testament does not challenge the notion that we can confess our sins to one another because it's scriptural. You know that, right? Read James 5. James is here, book named after him. Uh, I, I've, uh, 
I meet every Wednesday with a good colleague, friend of mine, not in, in the church and not even in the city. And, and we have a time of accountability. Uh, we have a time where we speak honestly. Uh, did, did you watch anything you shouldn't be watching this week, Stu? Have you, have you been spending time, you know, with, with the Lord in prayer? Have you, have you treated your wife kindly? It's the questions we ask. <laughs> Is there anybody you've, you've offended this week? that you need to seek reconciliation with? Is there any pride in your heart that keeps you from being honest with me? And then the last question we ask is this. In all that you just said to me, have you lied to me? <laughs> what we do is following a, a pattern that John Wesley instilled in his small group gatherings, recognizing that God has given us His Spirit, Jesus has forgiven our sins, but the church needs others to help them to live faithfully. Some of us abound in patterns, in ways that we've cried out to the Lord, and we've said, Lord, just take it away. Sometimes these very troubled thoughts can lead to destruction, but more times than not, for those who have learned what the psalmist says, these thoughts can lead us to the grace of God. Just so you know, in case you misunderstood me, the Christian life is not all up to me. It's not all on my shoulders. I can't burden, carry all the burdens. I can't fix myself. But I can respond to the grace that is given to me through Christ. All of Christianity is a response to the finished work of Christ. All of our faith is a response to the one that says, I've come so that you may have life and have life abundantly. Want peace today? Turn your thoughts to Him. You need to speak to somebody because you're struggling? There are safe Christians around, by the way. People are not going to go blab what you confess or what you share you need help with. People are not going to run all over the place with your stories, but they're going to pray with you, challenge you, and encourage you. Maybe some of us would prefer that God just magically takes everything away that's troubling us right now. I have found that when one trouble ends, I'm sounding so down another one emerges. Have you found that? Sometimes I've just said to the Lord, just, just a break, <laughs> just a sabbatical. <laughs> just, 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 just a bit. You know, this, this false sense that what we will experience in life if God answered our prayers is no challenge to our thought life, no challenge that would disrupt. The answer is not the absence of challenges and hardships, the answer is the presence of the one who is the bread of life. As the worship team comes, I want to pray for you as my friends in Christ. I want to acknowledge today my deep need of being with the Lord by intention and in response to His Word. I want to invite you 
to take these words seriously and to begin where you're at. What would it look like to have a simple pattern of beginning with God and ending your day with Him? I have a suspicion that this will happen. The problems that feel heavy will begin to shift. And even if they are not removed, you will find yourself living with hope more than in despair. This is the Word of God. Father, this morning, I thank you for this church whom you love. I thank you for the privilege I have, the enormous privilege I have, of preaching your word to your people. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. I thank you for the many people here who serve, who serve others, who give of their time. They have learned that the key is not to be more self-obsessed, more focused on their own lives, but indeed, as they seek your kingdom, you take care of them. For those of us who perhaps need to take some steps, find ways to serve, find ways to reach out, I pray that you would grant us the grace and the wisdom to discern what it is. But for those here today who are dealing with difficult, difficult thoughts, mental health challenges, those, Father, who have the ongoing challenge before them. We ask that your grace would be sufficient, that your strength would be made perfect in weakness, and that we, your people, would be a people of hope for any such person whenever they are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.